Welcome to The Bible Preacher, your weekly podcast where we talk about the Bible, Bible make a playlist, uh, and I'm Matt Campbell, pastor at St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Los Angeles, California. And I'm Zach Pierce. I'm the pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry uh, at the University of Colorado Boulder, which is a university that is now, uh, as you listen to this podcast, fully in session. Everything's fine. Uh, nothing's gone wrong at all. The students are really enjoying their experience on campus. As we learned a couple weeks ago, they're stopping by the dining halls, which, you know, is um, they can't sit down in. Uh, it's only grab and go so they can go to the dining hall, pick up food and take it back to their room to eat it by themselves because all common areas are now closed, obviously. So it's good. It's good, man. Everything's going great. Good. Good. That sounds that sounds sane. Yeah. Yeah. Perfectly fine. We- <laughs> USC uh, still still closed, uh, although then there was a communication from the state of California that universities could reopen. And then they had to send another email saying we're still closed, but we'll take this under consideration. So we'll see. Who knows? Fantastic. Fantastic. I, I, I have been having I will work myself up uh, full disclosure with how, how to, the linear, our linear experience with time works. Uh, school's not in session yet, but I am having uh, meetings with colleagues and stuff. And, and in between these meetings, I'll kind of like work myself up, up and like be like, oh, no, OK, I think this is going to work. We're going to do like the small groups are going to be like crack a lacking. Uh, we're going to do an empanada food truck our first Tuesday night, like on the lawn. We have space tables and I bought an outdoor movie projector mat because I need one for home use and professional use uh, and an outdoor screen because we're going to do like that's going to be our deal. And you're like, okay, I can see how this will work. I'm going to meet with my student leaders. And then like, I check in with people who are actually like, you know, connected with the university and stuff. And the, the zooms become doom zooms pretty quickly. Like, uh, uh, yeah, no, this is not going to work at all. Right. Yeah. Like, no, no, even if it works, it's not going to be fun at all. Like this is, (laughs) and then we're like, oh yeah. And if they can't like, so, so here's what I'm hearing, Matt. Uh, and this has been a really interesting experience and it's really interesting experience right now as someone who is works at kind of at the university, but definitely not for, but I don't want to like burn down bridges and stuff either because, uh, having connections and relationships on the university is an important part of my job. And I'm here to support faculty and staff as in addition to students. Uh, but if you were to ask me straight up, if I thought this is a good idea, I'd go with no, right? I don't think this is a good idea. Um, but uh, so <laughs> what do I do? How do I do it? I don't know, man. I've lost my complete train of thought there. I got so into the doom. Oh, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Right. So, oh, yeah. OK, here's the scoop, Matt. The scoop is that most people I talk to expect that we will have in-person learning for three to four weeks um, for a number of reasons. Uh, just like it'll take that long for us to find out that something's gone horribly wrong because uh, it's not like we can turn tests around real quick. Uh, also, it happens to be when the last day to get your fees in is. Um, so semester will be paid for at that point. But here's the wild thing. As I talk to our students, another bizarre part of college town stuff. I don't know if this is the case where in, in L.A. because it's a different kind of deal, but you need to sign a lease at the latest in January of the year you hope to live in that place in the fall. 
Yeah. Right. So we've got students who signed leases for this year in like December or November. Uh, right. So you've had this lease forever. You've got a place you're going to pay for. You're tired of living with your parents' house. Every, all the students I'm talking to, whether they're going to be taking classes in person or coming back to town to live in the apartments uh, to do that whole thing. So even we get three or four weeks in and we cancel in-person classes, I'm hearing they're not going to kick students out of dorms because they didn't kick students out of dorms last time. Um, and there are contracts involved in dorms, dorm life. Um and all of the off-campus students are just going to be here anyway. So. Yeah. So it's great. Yeah. 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 No, it's definitely, I mean, yeah, it's different, but this immediate neighborhood, that was part of USC's communications was that like local landlords, if you've already signed a lease, there's nothing they can do. Like they're, I mean, there's nothing the university can do. They're like, yeah. and landlords are like, well, we have bills to pay too, so you're stuck. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> it's like, and it's a microcosm of like what everyone else is facing too. I mean, people are terrified that across the city there's just going to be mass evictions because we've put the burden on tenants rather than like hmm, figuring out how to address this problem. At least we can count on the federal government coming in to help stabilize the situation and protect <laughs> right. the vulnerable, right? Right, right. They're good right. at that. Right. Yeah, it's it's insane. So, uh, yeah. Pretty calm, pretty calm time. Slow pretty chill. Pretty chill. Just like these texts. Pretty chill. Just like pretty these chill. super chill texts. It's summertime and the lectionary is chill, man. I mean, I do feel like uh, in this moment, like a year ago, I might have been like, man. In these extraordinary times. <laughs> Unprecedented. Excuse me. That's the word. That's the adjective we're looking for here. You could kind of, uh, in other years, maybe cast about for sermon topics. Uh, nope, it's pretty clear. Here's what we're going to talk about. <laughs> Here's what mm-hmm. we're dealing with. So, uh, well, we've sadly finished a summer of Genesis. Uh, we Which were really late. gets tied up so neatly, Matt. I continue to like be amazed at, like, immediately it is, the, like, the biggest ball of yarn ever frayed edges everywhere and then they're like and joseph and his brothers reconciled thanks for coming this has been a great story i really appreciate you all (laughs) yeah it's great end of end of season one or really like i guess if it was an hbo tv series it'd be like each of the seasons would probably be like you probably have like abraham and you'd have like your jacob season Maybe a Joseph season. And now this is like a spinoff show. This is a spinoff. It is. <laughs> Matt, before we get this to the text, though, uh, there's something really important we need to talk about on this show that's culturally relevant. And you should probably spend most of your time preaching on this week. Uh, and talk about Perry Mason because I have not seen one it. One of our active listeners right now, one of our six, we're streaming this week. Uh, so one of the f- folks I know listening because he said he gave us some advice in the middle of the show, Adam White. Our colleague uh, at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln, who from whom I stole some great creative content recently, uh, is also a fellow watcher. Matt, I've been getting into Netflix series called Warrior Nun. That's not a real thing. It's what? completely a real thing, and it is. I want to be really clear. So bad, right? And you may ask yourself, what could be bad about a show that takes nuns? A topic everybody's typically super intrigued with and makes them warriors. And it's a misnomer because I wouldn't 
I'm going to nitpick on a couple of things, but I want to be really clear that the acting is really, really bad, right? The lines that are written for people, like it is almost to the level of the room, which I was forced against my will to watch a couple weekends ago. Uh, it's real bad. The main character is actually a pretty good actor, actor, I think, but outside of her, like there are some real dry lines that are just kind of said in a room back that two people happen to be in. It's not a conversation. Uh, but I have a couple of issues that I'd like to address. I'm in, by the way. I haven't finished. No spoilers. Uh, uh, the Vinyl Spouse and I, we're working our way through. I'm super invested. Here's the deal, Matt. I'm going to set it up for you a little bit, right? Uh, there's this, like... <laughs> magic halo uh that has a lot of power and you stick it in somebody's back and they become like a superhero that's able to defeat demons and stuff that are real and there's a super cringy uh ongoing like faith science debate uh that sets up stupid dialectical so that's going on so that's great uh and so someone they're trying to hide the halo from these these uh, demonic forces, what appear to be demonic forces. We don't know for sure yet. Uh, and it gets stuck in a recently deceased non-nun who comes back to life, was a quadriplegic, uh, and is now having to wrestle with being resurrected, having full use of their body, superpowers, and now also kind of also having, like, by force, becoming a warrior nun, uh, which is not where I think she thought she her afterlife would go. Uh, it's great. Here's my nitpicks, though, okay? You don't need to change anything up to now. Up to now, bad acting, I'm in, right? Super ridiculous plotline, fully invested. A really super reductionist faith science thing, I'm here for it. Uh, but here's my issues. They're, the warrior nuns are part of a sect, an order called the, the Order of the Cruciform Sword, because they have a sword made out of a special material called divinium uh, that can have special powers over, over demons. Divinium? Yeah. It introduces divinium. Wow. Uh, the halo, it turns out, not made out of divinium, but an even more special sort of metal not from this world. Here's my issue, Matt. A sword by its nature is already cruciform. Show me an uncruciform sword. That's uh, like the least imaginative... <laughs> At least imaginative uh, name for for a really badass order of nuns is the Order of the Cruciform Sword. It's like the Order of the Cross-Shaped Cross. Like, it's the dumbest name ever, man. <laughs> yeah, what? Man. So is the... So I'm not really... I'm not a swordsman. <laughs> But I wonder if you could tell, like, so it's, so there's a handle, and then there's a blade, and then there's the, the part that makes it cruciform, right? Now, is that to, like, protect your hand from getting cut? I is believe it's for? the hilt, is what that is. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, the handle or the part that, like, what's the hilt? I believe it's the protecty part. So it's a protecting part. That's yeah, what yeah, yeah. I mean, like, so that's the purpose imagine your cinematic sword fight. The sword's, like, cross. It would be easy enough just to come down and cut your hand off. But the hilt helps you. Well, that's what I'm. Yeah, that's something because because I initially thought uh, lightsabers, not mm -hmm. not often, mm -hmm. cruciform. So uh, are they just particularly dangerous? <laughs> yeah, I think a lightsaber is a real bad idea, personally. So then, so then I would like to so say the Kylo university Ren has announced that all fresh movie issued a real live lightsaber. 
<laughs> I mean, I'm just because the, there is one cruciform lightsaber Kylo Ren decides to put. Mm-hmm. That's uh, smart. You know, kind of. But it's not actually protective because it is also a blade. <laughs> so it seems like I'm we got to talk to like the 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 geek god Tahina maybe like That's Brian true. Bennett we Wilrose need- we got to get to the bottom of this I'm yeah. intrigued by just the physics of lightsabers ability to like stop sure. each yeah. other right like that's right. that's really something uh, but I'm not done yet, man, with my rant. I'm warrior none in my issues okay, with it. Item number two of things that need to be changed uh, in the order of the cruciform none is that the show is called Warrior Nuns, and they call themselves, I think, just the person with the halo because it gets passed down from generation to generation, you know. It's called The Warrior Nun. Matt, I have examined their training because if this show is anything, it's nothing but <laughs> this <laughs> roving camera shot. This Ken Burns effect of nuns training in a cathedral. That's all it, all it is. It. But clearly they're ninjas. Okay? They're ninja nuns. They're not war... Like, we know what warriors look like, okay? And their training... Is, one of the nuns gets transferred against her will to a different order and has to turn go to the armory to turn in her weapons. What are the first weapons she puts down on the table to return? Ninja stars. Uh, these are ninja what? nuns. They're, they dress like... That's also one of my favorite parts. Their costumes are just like these super like ninja like nun habit things. And they just walk around in broad daylight. They're the secret sect. But all around... And it's in Spain, which is fantastic. The accent work in this show is just dyslexic. Like an ADHD. Like there's... There are some characters who have like a legitimate Spanish accent. And then... There's someone who literally is from the American South and has a really convoluted backstory for why they're there, uh, but they talk like it. Um, uh, but they walk around in plain daylight with like divinium swords and stuff, uh, and they're like, "We are." I mean, and they create great violence, right? With like, they're the least inconspicuous uh, uh, order of secret warrior nuns that you could imagine uh it's beautiful matt you got to check it out but those are my two issues with okay. the show. gotcha gotcha that was a good uh good episode of what's on tv that's right let's check it out netflix netflix you know if you're already paying your 13 dollars, you get to watch it fantastic so matt we are in the uh spinoff series here which would be like the the warrior um deacon the Ninja Deacon. That's what they would call it because they should have called the first show Ninja. Ninja Deacon. Uh, here, uh, as we start, we skip the first seven verses, but basically the beginning of Exodus. It's so good. It's just, uh, it's so good. I mean, the first line, now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. It's so good. No matter how many times so I hear good. it, it's so good. <laughs> I mean, it's so good. And you you could imagine it as like a voiceover like this is it's so cinematic it's incredible mm-hmm. it's i could just see charlton heston <laughs> saying this. yeah wait uh, and then uh and this new king uh hard to relate to though because this has never again happened in human history where he says look uh these people are more numerous and more than we come let us deal shrewdly with them or they will increase and, in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. 
So they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, pied them in Ramses for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites. They made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. So right there, stage is set. Super chill. Stage is set. You can imagine that montage and... Oh, oh my gosh. It has me thinking too. Uh, I mean, this is, so I started reading since I'm married to a historian. I was, uh, I was told to read the new Isabel Wilkerson book cast where she argues that America has had a caste system, mm-hmm. uh, from the beginning. It makes some really good, it's a really good case with some really amazing, uh, I mean, some of it is stuff that, uh, ground that's been covered in, in other books, but the tidbit that I pulled out so far is that, um, the Nazis actually studied, uh, the American caste system and thought it was a little bit too extreme, okay. <laughs> which is a little like, like the lengths that America went to, like maintain its caste uh, system. That's just like, eh, they don't really do that though, do they? Yeah. They don't actually, <laughs> which is crazy. Absolutely Whoa. insane. Uh, we're laughing cause it's awful. Uh, the <laughs> king correct. of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua. Now this is crucial, right? Because so far the king has not been named. This is just like the president, but it doesn't tell us president who is just king, new pharaoh. Okay. Uh, this king of Egypt says to the Hebrew midwives, and then the Hebrew midwives are named. First people to be named in this story. Uh, Shifra and the other Pua. And he says to them, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because uh, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. Incredible. Incredible. And vigorous women, what? man. Right? What a line. Too fast, too strong. What, what can we do? What can we do? Whole I'm new, it's by. a completely different too fast, too furious. I know. It's, it's, I mean, it's just like. Still all about family. It is like. I can't like it's meant we were talking about this and I did a couple different Bible studies of this recently and we were talking about how like like this is meant to be funny it's like humor in the midst of the horror and it's one of the ways of dealing with the horror I think uh, mm-hmm. and of responding to it yeah uh, but I think it's meant to be that way like it's this is insane uh, so a couple of things that I that I noticed here right so like first of all uh, they don't they don't initially say no to Pharaoh. They don't say anything to him. They just don't do it. Mm-hmm. And he them in. It's not like what they tell him is not actually true, right? Because it says they didn't do as the king of Egypt commanded them. The agency, the story, the narrative puts the agency in these midwives' hands, right? But they give him a response, which plays into his fears. Right? I mean, that's what he's afraid of, is that they're going to be too vigorous and they're too strong. It's like, you were right, Pharaoh. You were right. They're too strong. Like, there's nothing we can... It's just like, it's incredible. Uh and then the other thing that uh, 
you know, was was brought up in one of my Bible studies is they were talking about like we we're trying to talk about like parallels in history, like where else have you seen people engage acts of civil disobedience? And somebody brought up Rosa Parks, right? Which is a story that we've all heard many times, but sometimes the story that gets told is that she says, Well, I was just tired, right? Just like tired. I was just tired that day. And, and that was the story that was like told in the Bible study. And I said, Well, that, like that's not we know that's not actually true, right? That like there was this whole strategy uh, and that even initially they were going to have somebody else be the person that did what she did. And they thought, well, that person was not going to be as sympathetic. So they chose Rosa Parks because she was going to be the most sympathetic. There was a whole plan of action. Right. And then her, what she says publicly is something a little bit, uh, not quite a, you know, like it's, it's a little bit different. Right. But it's, uh, it's a strategic verbal response that she gives. And that is actually not unlike the midwives here, right. Where they have a particular action that they take. And then the actual thing they say out loud is creative and a little bit different. Right. So it's just, it's really, it's amazing. Well, Matt, I would like to quickly interject just to let our listeners know that this episode is brought to you by bed, bath and beyond. If you're in need of a birth stool, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond has a wide variety of options, and we, it's in the Beyond section. We definitely registered for one, but then what do you do with it afterwards? I just Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to give it away. <laughs> you don't want to give it away. Yeah, no. It's, it's tough. It's like a car seat. Tough. It's tough. <laughs> like a car seat. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and became very strong. So actually it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, Pharaoh. They, they did multiply and become very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every boy that is born to the Hebrews, you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. So it didn't work with the midwives. So Pharaoh goes to all the people and he says, here's the policy. He was also unfamiliar with Nirvana's Nevermind. Uh, because babies swim. We all know that because of that album cover. Yeah. Yep. Uh, now, a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. And the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine baby, when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. And his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. We just uh, did this story in Sunday school and my kids who are three years old uh, were like in the picture. Like, so the mommy looks sad and the baby looks surprised. Why is, why is that? I had to, figure out how to explain that. Uh, The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. Oh, moment of tension here. Mm. What is going to happen? When she opened it, she sees the child. Oh, no. She sees the child. He was crying and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children. She knows it's one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. And so the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. Amazing. Moses' mother made to raise her own child. Amazing. Mm. 
When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. Word of God, word of life. Oof. Do you know, Matt, what Moses' name, Moses would have been, uh, the name Moses would have had if Moses had been born a girl? What? Uh, Brandy. Brandy. Yep. Why Brandy? You're a fine girl. <laughs> a fine baby. Get it? Brandy, you're a fine girl. Good. What yeah. a good wife you yeah. would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The it's thing classic. that I appreciate about this story is that this is the last instance you can find in the Bible where a ruler uh, says we should kill all the male babies. Uh, and they like, it doesn't work here. And they're like, you know, it's just not an effective strategy, so we're not going to employ it anymore. So that's helpful. That's a good yeah. that we get it out of the way and we don't have to deal with this anymore. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you ever needed like a reason to see that these stories like are – they repeat in history, mm-hmm. uh, but but here's the blueprint. Here's what it looks like. But it's the blueprint not only for the pharaoh, not only for the the powerful uh, person in charge, but also for like how God works to undo that, which is really um, really just extraordinary, right? Like God could just you can imagine some story where the powerful deity just like smacks down that ruler. Uh, smites the ruler, right? Like you could, you could imagine that. It's not quite what happens here. There'll be a little bit of smiting later with the plagues, <laughs> but even that is like a very. It could be way smitier. Smiting, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, it's just it's really interesting that God works up from underground here, right? With who we would think would be the least powerful people in that given situation. Oh, that was like God. You said God works from underground. Okay, remember that next week. Uh oh. Remember it. Uh-oh. Okay. Okay. Oh. Uh, but I just think it's like, it's so, I mean, obviously, like, there's so much good stuff here that we could, that we could talk about. Um, We're again, not going to, though. Underground, which you're going to somehow call me on next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the relationship of the different people, uh, the relationship of power in this uh, story is incredible. The fact that there are five women who are especially important, that there's this powerful male ruler, uh, but it's really the these five women that uh, steal the show from these two midwives to uh, Moses's mother and then his sister and then Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, I mean, just it's such a subversive story in that way. And then the other thing that really strikes me about it is that um, – you know, again, like it's not this direct smiting of Pharaoh uh, just yet, but that like it, it's almost like Pharaoh, like the tables get turned on Pharaoh in these ways that Pharaoh doesn't even realize yet. Um, the fact that Pharaoh is going to care for the child that eventually is going to undo his kingdom, right? Like Pharaoh, his, Pharaoh's house is taking care of mm-hmm. this child and paying his mother to take care of her. Like it's, it's really, it's really, it's incredible. The uh, it's got a lot of connections to next week's gospel uh, when Jesus says, uh, you know, uh, those who want to gain their life must lose it. Those who lose their life will gain it um, kind of a thing, uh, you know, so if you wanted to, to kind of key in on putting giving up your child in order to receive like to um, in order to receive your child. Right. To get to be the mother uh, required giving it away. Um 
Yeah, and we talked last. Uh, I've got my notes from three years ago. Okay, good. We already talked about that. Literally giving away into the water, which has mm-hmm. no sacramental baptismal imagery whatsoever. If we get but it's it's there. I'm struck too by like the. There's also something here about like as we continue to move into next week and into this Exodus story in the weeks to come that like there's also a discernment of like what season you're in. Um, mm-hmm. Like there's always a Pharaoh in some way, but are we in the season of protecting the next generation and organizing um, under Pharaoh's nose? Or are we in the season of direct confrontation of Pharaoh? Um, that's not what happens here yet, right? The midwives aren't really directly confronting Pharaoh. They're uh, undermining him in some really subversive ways, but they're not. it's not direct confrontation yet. There will be a moment for that, but that's not the season they're in yet. And so there is left this, I can imagine some sermon about like the discernment of seasons uh, and how you discern what God is calling you to do now. Uh, and that can look different in different seasons. Um, even if the direction, God's movement is always in the same direction, uh, the move in this moment might look different. I think that's, I don't know. I think it's relevant. <laughs> I think it is relevant also, man. That's a good, you know, one of the goals of this podcast is to be uh, relevant. That's our, <laughs> one of our aims. And we did it, Matt. You did it. I think we found a relevant interpretation of this <laughs> text. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, gosh, there's just so much mystagogical uh, things to do with the water and Moses being drawn out of the water. There are a number of, of excellent literary sorts of phrases, right? The, the king who did not know Joseph um, and naming Moses Moses because I drew him out of the water. Um, you know, there's just a lot to, if anything, it's, there's too much here, you know, uh, and, and perhaps the preacher's task is to like, how do I take this? all of this and and find one thing to preach on you know is uh, yeah is perhaps the challenge mm-hmm. i mean we haven't even talked about pharaoh's daughter uh yeah, right. is an insurrectionist is that what this is uh yeah like there's so many there's so many different ways to read her i think right mm-hmm. like yeah, is she already a radical? Is she already an insurrectionist? Uh, is she on a knife's edge in the story where, like, she kind of takes pity and then does Moses' sister kind of, like, tip her over the edge? Like, is she being manipulated? Like, you could read yeah. her. There's a lot of different ways you could play this character. Um, but, yeah. Hmm. I, uh, you know, one of the images of the kingdom that, that I always find really helpful is the especially when you're in summertime gospel stuff is the kind of image of like weeds growing up in the cracks of like concrete and stuff. Um, and that's certainly an image that, that maybe I wouldn't go with preaching wise because there's so much imagery in the story already, but that comes to my mind of, of this weed is already in the house of Pharaoh and like, um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I would do it. I've got to think through it a little bit more, but like, the kind of like disease is already there, um, is in the mm-hmm. body using it against itself. Um, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if I'd make that illusion or not, but, but I think it's, it's something to think about. I'm not preaching this week. Yeah. So. <laughs> you got, you all, y'all can figure it out. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, like, I think that's part of what the story invites us to do, right? Like, it'd be very easy, like, if you stopped at 
if you stop at verse 14, this looks pretty hopeless, right? But you keep mm-hmm. reading and you begin to see the, the weeds growing through the cracks um, that God is still at work in the midst of this. Good stuff. Yep. Uh, Matt, we have a super predictable gospel reading to pair with this. Uh, you know, last week, as you recall, uh, Peter was trying to walk. Was that last week? No. Uh, two weeks ago, Peter was trying to walk on water. Didn't work out for him. And Pete and Jesus said to him, you have so little faith that the next week, Jesus uh, insults a, a Gentile woman, Pharaoh's daughter. And uh, the, the woman's response uh, has Jesus saying, oh, actually, you have great faith. This is great. So Peter sucks. And the Syrophoenician woman's awesome. And so, of course, the outcome of that is when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And he said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you. Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. You are rock, rocky. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And some of the things you bind on, wait, nope, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Uh, Peter's roller coaster ride is just just getting started, Matt. Uh, insulted, drowning. Now the rock, which does sink, I guess, if you think about it, uh, is the foundation of the church. Um, what a ride here for our, our friend Peter. What a ride. What a ride indeed. Oh, so many places to go here. Um, I do think it's important. We've got about four readings in a row here that really focus on Peter. And I think you could pick one of them to be like, hey, here's the foundation of the church is this guy who like gets it real wrong a lot. Um, spoilers next week. Uh, so that's a sermon for sure that's there. But here's the thing that's in my crawl this week, Matt. Uh, this is the first time that the word ecclesia, which is church, gets used in the New Testament, in, in Matthew, which is the only gospel that mentions here? the word church. This is it. You, uh, on this rock, I will build my church. Um, so I did my word study this week. Sturdy. I did my word study real sturdy on church, ecclesia. Uh, and it is a compound word, Matt. It comes from ek and kaleo which means out from and then to call out, to call out from. And uh, I'd like to start Podcast Beef right now uh, with uh, super famous church blogger Carrie Newhoff. If you, uh, you've surely seen yeah. the Carrie Newhoff stuff floating around the Internet. Oh, um, yeah. The five things the f- that you're doing wrong. Listicles. If you need a list to tell you most of the time what you're doing wrong, or to make you feel superior to other churches who are not doing the things that you are doing. Uh, Karen Yulhoff is here to validate you. And uh, he gets super shared in clergy circles, so I see his like headlines all the time. Occasionally they're good enough that I click on it, and then I'm routinely disappointed. Like, I'm always like, oh, it's just a listicle. And like, mm-hmm. okay, not for me. Um, 
his thing was this week, one of the the article I saw was uh, five things that churches who aren't going to survive the pandemic are doing wrong. Uh, which often is one of his. Then you want to click on it because now immediately I think, what are they? Right. Uh, Even though I know, I don't care what yeah. he thinks. I want to know what he's saying. And surprise, Matt, they were really reductive. Um, <laughs> what I love about Carrie is his ability to like really engage nuance. But one of them that, that got under my crawl, and, and I, maybe I saw, read it right before I did kind of prep for the podcast, was um, churches that focused on returning to the building are churches that are going to fail. Because instead of work at focusing on the church at, in, in, and here's the thing I want to emphasize, because I'm, it's bothered me for years, Matt, and I'm starting to like put some like words together to figure out why it's bothering me and, and what my critique is of it. But it's worrying about church in, and the article is always there, the home, right? Churches don't need buildings. We need to focus on the life of the church in the home. Okay? Uh, like, like, and, and I got a lot of issues with that, right? But one of them is going to go with like this, like this introduction of the church here, which means to call out from. And perhaps you could read Carrie's article and you'd say to yourself, well, I could preach this. And we would go do a whole kind of sermon into like, what is the church? And the church, God is, is calling us out from, right? That's literally what the church means, the walls of the church. But Matt, that's not at all what the word meant at the time, right? It, the church is a gathering of people being called out literally from their homes, uh, the Bible, the New Testament, the ancient Near East, the Bible is preoccupied with tearing down the walls of the home uh, because the home was the source of all these blood feuds that your loyalty was more, you were much more loyal to your, the, the, the life, the community that was inside of the walls of the home than it was to the greater good. And you felt no social obligation to care for the outsider. Um, so I'm pretty critical and skeptical of a church that says, no, no, we don't need to worry about a church building, which I get the sentiment where that, like that, that comes from. I hear that. Um, but the place we're going is not the home. We're not retreating to the home, okay? Uh, because that's where this whole thing started. The church, here, the the church that it's in the Bible uh, is a calling out from those those defensive, self defensive homes, um, because it makes all of these assumptions about nuclear families. Um, do you know what, Matt? The last place I want to be right now is the home. It's the place I've been sentenced to be. Uh, it is not a place of, like, serenity or, like, renewal or any of that kind of bullshit, right? Uh, the, I have to be my, my, my kid's teacher now. Uh, do I have to be their pastor, too? Like, what? Like, no, okay? Like, that's not my job. <laughs> um Oh, incredible. What a hot take. Who like and it makes the assumption that your home life is a positive nurturing environment, which we know is not the case for if not a majority, a significant minority of people don't have like healthy, positive, constructive home lives. Uh, and so to push that extra work on top of people is is a super privileged position to take. That's what I want to say. It is a very privileged thing to say we don't need church buildings because we got to worry about church in the home, which I mean, I'm, I'm starting to bump up against, you know, Rich Milheim and stuff, but because I've never like loved his stuff. And I think that's, I think this is helping me understand. Kill some Sunday of my discomfort. School. Kill Sunday school. Just do Sunday school in the home, the home. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. No, I think that's, yeah, that's really, that's really insightful. I mean, like, 
of course there's some there's some benefits of like now being forced to see that church building just as a tool uh but that it is like at its best is it people out of their homes and into unlikely communities and unlikely relationships um that had the potential to be transformative right like it's actually like that that's the original calling out that's 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 good it's good stuff vinyl preacher i just good yeah stuff how do you be called out how do you be called out uh in a time where signs all over my city say you're safer at home home is your safe place stay home yeah it's a great question i mean and it's hard right now but let us not be tricked into i mean i mean i'm the person who's been a pastor of a ministry that has not had a building and i've done that for nine years now um and there's some freedom that comes from that but there are things we are definitely not able to do because we don't have a building uh that we could do um a building is not the church, right? But it is a really powerful tool that that we would be foolish to just say, in the future, the church won't have buildings. We'll just be home churches. Um, so there's my, my rim. Yeah. 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 That's good. That's really good. I mean, and I think, oh, geez. I think how I'd turn it, just try to turn this rant into something that approaches good news. Cause you have an excellent question. How do we get called out from our homes in a time when, uh, the, uh, the intelligent ITS, the intelligent, tra- uh, traffic systems are telling us that, uh, that our home is a safe place to be. Uh, perhaps that puts us in the boat with Peter here a little bit. Uh, one of the things I really lament right now is, personally like my inability to like connect to lots of people like that's a really fun part of my job is to connect with lots of people who i would have no reason to connect with um uh, i limit it for my my daughter right because uh you know i mean it's a big part of the socialization going to school we've been really particular about her going uh to a bilingual school where she's able to like connect with people that like if we stayed in our like church circles uh she's not going to connect to very many like brown kids right uh and so we send her to a school specifically so that she can have that exposure and be connected to those people and she's not able to do that right now and yet uh you know if you're if you're twisting some good news out of it you got to name some laments but you can twist the good news out of it and say hey two weeks ago peter was drowning because he had no faith uh and that's literally the last thing peter did and god and jesus is like that's the one i want the drowning one that's what we're going to work with that's we're going to start with this one yeah no and that's that's i think that's still a powerful story that uh i bet the majority of your congregation is not walking around thinking about peter that way um Mm -hmm. i mean i remember being in college and having a professor of new testament uh tell the story of peter in like this really heartbreaking way and realizing that like this dude was an f up in all these different ways and that that is who got used to build gus church on this so it's so powerful and it feels like old hat to uh us seminarians but uh but again like sometimes you gotta remember that not everybody spends all their waking hours thinking about these uh (laughs) stories so tell this story there are more ways to continue to tell it uh and i remember i went to uh, i grew up at saint peter lutheran church in arlington Heights, illinois saint peter lutheran church and there was a giant rock like a granite boulder uh on the front lawn 
with a plaque on it uh, with this with this verse on this rock I will build my church <laughs> right here from Matthew. So they were very literal about that uh, about this reading. I mean, the other thing you can lean on in our as we start our campaign together to take to cancel Carrie Newhow, uh, who we don't I don't know personally in any way and wish have no ill will towards personally uh, is I did read his five uh, pieces of technology that would be useful to you. And I was like, oh, this is OK. This is let me just That's do great. It, just check yeah, out. So he he yeah. Just <laughs> we need to do better. Librarians are really important to our society because they can help us discern like what forms of how to identify good information and not um, is that, you know, this starts the story. In a lot of ways, this isn't the spinoff show. This is the main show we're starting in the Old Testament. Uh, and Genesis mm-hmm. is really a prequel. Uh, it feels in a lot of ways to me like like the prequel you make after the show. Like it's the Star Wars episodes one, two, three. Because uh, sometimes it's a little racist. Um, and uh, But this story that is the main story is a story about trying to get home, but never getting there. Right. Like and if there's good news to tie a bow on this Old Testament story that starts in Exodus, uh, it's almost like a. um, uh, Oh, gosh, wicked. What's the show called? Dorothy. um, What's the name? Dog Toto. What's the name of that book? Movie? (laughs) Wizard of Oz. It's almost a little Wizard of Oz. Right. You were always there. Um, You were always home, you know. Uh, and so that might be the good news is we're searching to one, get back to home, but also to, to, to be a bit of a, a cautionary tale about glorifying faith that lives in, uh, quote unquote, the home. So, Matt, yeah. uh, as you've been living your whole life in the home, what have you been listening to on your home stereo? Huh. What have I got this year? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Anthony Etter, uh, who works for Lutheran retreats, camps, and conferences, uh, continued prayers with them, by the way. They were evacuated because of one of our California fires Damn. out of Luther Glen. They've now gone back, so that's good news. But they had to evacuate, like, their animals to a local church, which is just amazing. Uh, but anyway, he, uh, <laughs> for my birthday, he sends me a playlist. <laughs> like, what a gift! <laughs> And the playlist is just called Format. <laughs> it's the second time he's done this, and it's a beautiful thing. Uh, so I'm going to choose some songs uh, from, from this playlist. So uh, he's got a version of Ooh Child, but by Nina Simone. Mm. So not the five stereotypes, but, yeah, yeah, but yeah. the famous uh, Nina Simone. Uh, and since we're talking about these children, I mean, this is really is a story about, like, protecting the next generation uh, for what that generation is going to do. So Ooh Child, yep, let's do that. Um this, uh, when my <laughs> when my young adults talk about, when I introduce this story to them, they go, oh, I like the Prince of Egypt movie, uh, which is now a cultural reference point in so many ways. So the single from that movie, which was originally Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey, uh, there's been a recent cover by uh, Cynthia Erivo and Shoshana Bean, When You Believe. So cover of When You Believe from the Prince of Egypt classic tune I remember that movie uh, it's still it actually is and pretty Anthony good. put that it's on your playlist good. yeah for some reason wow yeah okay that's great that's yeah. a yeah it's deep it's cut it's a super random playlist but I like it I like it uh, and then uh, we've got uh, Carol King 
Uh, I think Laurel Canyon Connections, maybe. I think so, right? I think I haven't gotten there yet in the book. Uh, But I believe, you know, her and James Taylor take a a swing through the canyon. Well, she's got a song called Bitter with the Sweet. Uh, Mm. Maybe you could even say sweet with the bitter. But all of the uh, dualities in this story, the the humor and the horror, uh, all of it, the power of fear, the power of God, the power of this patriarchal man, the power of these women. Uh, Bitter with the sweet. Let's do that. Three songs. Thanks, like Anthony. It, Thanks, Anthony. I like it. Matt, um, you know, I'm a little, I got a little ranty uh, on the pod and in my preparation about homes uh, in the home. Uh, but I'm going to go with the Lumineers long way from home. Because uh, that's where, you know, uh, Moses and the crew find themselves at the beginning of this story. And uh, I think it's the church that Jesus is calling us into in the Matthew reading. Uh, Jesus, uh, who we've talked about a little bit on this podcast, uh, in the gospel reading, he looks around the room and says, who do people say that I am? Uh, who do you say that I am? Uh, basically what he's doing is pulling the old Beyonce move uh Back when she was with Destiny's Child, uh, say my name, Matt. <laughs> say my name, uh, Destiny's Child. We're putting it on the playlist. And finally, Matt, we need a good song about the water. We've got so many good water songs. Um, Dawes. I don't know if you've heard about them. They're a Laura Canyon-based band from the modern era uh, that some people really love and are saying are great. Uh, I've been around for over ten years now. Uh, up and coming band uh, has a lovely song on. Um, on the album Time Spent in Los Angeles that's often underlooked and it's uh, overlooked. It's called Moon in the Water, uh, which is a beautiful little song uh, and I can hear it playing uh, with our cinematic cut of Moses floating down the water and being pulled out. I'll always nice. be fishing for the moon in the water is the is how the Ooh. chorus goes. Yeah. Ooh. Good. It's, it's a beautiful song. Love it. Good. Good. Good stuff. Good stuff. It's been real. Real live streamed vinyl. <laughs>